during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Daniel chapter 8 has one of the longest and most fascinating prophecies found anywhere in the Bible. And to find out what it's all about, we're going to work our way through this amazing passage today. It begins in verse 1, the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared at the first. So here he's having his second vision. Of course, we remember the one from chapter 7. It continues on. It says, I lifted up my eyes in verse 3 and saw and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other and the higher one came up last. Then as he watches this ram, he saw it pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. Very clearly, we are introduced to a prophecy that is given to us in symbolic language. We need to remember as we work our way into this prophecy, the principle of repeat and enlarge, which is the method by which God brings to us apocalyptic or end time prophecies. We began with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel chapter 2, you had these four metals, gold, silver, brass, iron, then the feet of iron and clay. We moved from there to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision, this time of four creatures. And while these four metals symbolized four kingdoms, so the four creatures symbolized exactly the same four kingdoms. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. When you come to Daniel chapter 8, Babylon is left out. And the angel Gabriel just starts straight in with the empire of Medo-Persia because Babylon has pretty much come to its end. It's no longer relevant to the prophecy anymore. And as with Daniel chapter 7, you first begin with the prophecy and then you have the explanation of the prophecy to go right along with it. We noted in Daniel chapter 7 that a beast in Bible prophecy, an animal, is a symbol of a kingdom. Verse 17, Daniel 7 verse 17, these great beasts which are four are four kingdoms which will arise out of the earth. Verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. And so we know that a beast or an animal symbolizes a kingdom. Here we are introduced to an animal, a beast, rather than, you know, what we might refer to as a beast of prey. This is an animal of sacrifice and it's going to be found in the context of a prophecy that focuses its attention on the sanctuary. If we look at the explanation of what this is about, you find it in verse 20 where it says the ram which you saw having the two horns are the kings or kingdoms of Media and Persia. This was a coalition government. It was led by Cyrus. It was initially dominated by the Medes, but then Cyrus turned into what became the Persian Empire. And so as it described, two horns, the Medes and the Persians, and the Persians, which begin as a minor province of the Median Empire, rising up and completely dominating for the rest of the history of Persia. 
Well, the Bible goes on. It doesn't stop here. And in verse 5, it says, As I was considering, behold, a goat came from the west, a male goat, on the face of the whole earth. He didn't touch the ground. The goat had a notable horn between his eyes. He came to the ram, which had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. I saw him come close to the ram. He was moved with anger against him and smote the ram, broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to stand before him. He cast him to the, down to the ground. He stamped on him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Very dramatic description of the end and the crushing defeats of the Persian Empire by, of course, the Greeks who follow the Persians. And we can read about that in verse 21, where the Bible says the rough goat is the king of Greece and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. It continues on and talks about that being broken, but we understand the first king. We know our history. You can look it up in Wikipedia if you want to. It was Alexander the Great who conquers the Persian Empire and establishes the Greek Empire in its place. Now, continuing on, going back to the prophecy in verse 8, it adds some extra detail. And so this is where we have this expansion of the prophecy. We have the bare bones here in Daniel 2, a little bit of extra information in Daniel 7, but now you're going to get something really specific. It says in verse 8, Therefore, the male goat grew very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it, or in its place, came up four notable horns towards the four winds of heaven or the four points of the compass. Well, what could that be all about? We know from the prophecy that a horn symbolizes a kingdom. And so we go over to the explanation and it says this. Now the first horn being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And of course, we know from history that when Alexander the Great died, the kingdom did not go to Alexander's descendants. No, the kingdom was divided. The generals fought amongst themselves until it was eventually divided up into four separate nations under Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy and Seleucus, just as Daniel had prophesied. Well, then if we're working our way through, what would we expect to find next? It would be Imperial Rome an empire that is going to come along and is going to rule three times longer, be three times greater than any previous empire that has existed in that part of the world. The Bible describes in verse 9, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. I want you to notice a detail of Scripture right here. The Bible says that the ram became great. Then the Bible says that the goat became very great. Well, that makes sense because if you are going to overcome a nation that is a great nation, you need to be greater than the one you, you are overcoming and very great is greater than great. We get that. That makes sense. Then when the Greek empire comes to an end, the Bible says it will be overtaken by a nation. Notice the symbol of a horn is the symbol of a nation. A nation that is greater than the Greek Empire because exceeding great, very great is greater than great, and exceeding great is greater 
than very great, which is greater than great. I hope you're following me right now. We simply have to ask ourselves the question in relationship to the identity of the little horn. What empire arose after the Greek empire was exceedingly great and was greater than the Greek empire and you only have one option. That's the Roman Empire. And that's the option that Jesus supports in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. But that's probably a story for another day. We need to follow along with the prophecy as we have it right here. The Bible goes on here in Daniel chapter 8 to describe Rome. In both of its phases, Imperial Rome and later Holy Rome or the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, we might describe it under a number of different titles. But the key to this prophecy and the part that we really need to get to is what you find in verse 13. It says, Then I heard one saint speaking to another saint, said to that certain saint which spoke. It's kind of a complex way of saying, he heard two people talking together. How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? In essence, he hears two people having a conversation and one asks the other, how long is this vision? That's a pretty relevant question. You've got some major world empires that are coming and going in a short space of time. The answer is given in these cryptic words with one of my favorite verses in prophecy. It says, he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And thus we are introduced to the longest time prophecy found anywhere in Scripture. Now, a time prophecy of this length is going to extend into our day. And you ask me the question, how can that be possible? Well, the answer is very easy. We have noted this before. In Bible prophecy, a day symbolizes a year. And if a day symbolizes a year, there's a principle that runs throughout the Bible. If a day symbolizes a year, then 2,300 days is actually 2,300 years. And you can take that any which way you like. If you begin in Daniel's era, anywhere in Daniel's era, and you extend 2,300 years into the future, you're going to come out of ancient history. You're going to go clean over the top of medieval history and land very, very firmly in modern history. And that's going to make this prophecy relevant for you and I. So we need to find out about it. We also need to find out about the sanctuary because the Bible says that this prophecy is centered on an event called the cleansing of the sanctuary. So let's begin by asking ourselves the basic question, what is the purpose of the sanctuary? We're going to go over to Exodus. Exodus chapter 25 and look at a very simple principle here. The Bible says, And let them make make me a sanctuary that I may live among them. There was something that was stopping God from being able to live amongst his people. Now, does God need a roof over his head? Was that God's problem? No, that wasn't God's problem. What was it that was stopping God from being able to live amongst his people? 
It was sin. Sin was the problem. He needed to remove sin from his people so that he could live amongst his people. And the sanctuary is going to teach us how God deals with sin. But that's not all that it's going to teach us. In Psalms chapter 73, it teaches us something else. Let's go over to Psalms chapter 73 very quickly. Here we find a psalm of Asaph. And in verse 3, the Bible says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is something that is very concerning to him. Why are the wicked prospering? This is not the way it should be. He's concerned about that. A little bit further down, he says this. He says, when I thought to understand this in verse 16, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. And so the sanctuary is going to teach us two great truths. Number one, how God gets rid of sin. And number two, what happens to the wicked, evil people in our world. Back to Daniel chapter 8. That's our first clue as to what is coming up. Back to Daniel chapter 8. We find that Gabriel arrives at this particular point to begin his explanation. And as he begins his explanation, he says, you know, uh, verse 15, when I, Daniel, I had seen the vision, I looked for a meaning. I heard a man's voice in verse 16 between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Time of the end is when this is all about. Now that's interesting because up until this particular point, we've been studying ancient history, isn't that so? We have studied about Persia, Greece, Rome. Then we've been given a time prophecy, 2,300 days. And then we are told that the focus of the entire prophecy, the entire prophecy is all about the time of the end. And the only way that you can get this prophecy to the time of the end is by the day for a year principle, 2,300 years. So this is our next clue. Our first clue is it's going to be about the sanctuary. Our next clue is it's going to be about, about the time of the end. Now, while he was speaking in verse 8, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. He touched me, set me upright, and he said, Behold, I will make you know what will be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. I want to notice the, the language that is used right here. God has made an appointment. He has taken out his diary and written in his diary a date for a certain event to take place and the end of this 2,300 period to happen. Well, whereabouts would you find language similar to that? Whereabouts, what else would you find in the Bible where God has taken out his diary and has made a date for something to happen? Let's go over to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, I want you to notice this passage here, which is going to, this is in Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. And now our clues are going to start coming thick and fast. In verse 31, the Bible says, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. So the Bible says that God has taken out his diary. He's made an appointment. And that appointment is for the time in which he's going to judge. Could these events 
be the same thing? Could the cleansing of the sanctuary be the judgment? Well, if you go back to Daniel chapter 8, and in one of our other studies, we're going to look at the cleansing of the sanctuary in detail. Here's some things we know about the cleansing of the sanctuary. First of all, the cleansing of the sanctuary is a service in the Bible called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day in which there was a division made between those who had confessed their sins and those who had not confessed their sins. In other words, it was a day of judgment. Jewish people today call it Yom Kippur, or a day of judgment. But then we look at Daniel chapter 7. And if we look at our principle in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, we find repeat and enlarge. Daniel 7 adds some information that you don't have in Daniel 2. Daniel 2 has Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, divided nations, second coming. Daniel 7 has Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, divided nations, judgment, second coming. Then Daniel chapter 8 comes along and once again it's paralleling And it goes Persia, Greece, Rome, divided nations. And right where you would expect to find the judgment, you find the cleansing of the sanctuary. In other words, the cleansing of the sanctuary and the judgment are one and the same event. And when the Bible says under 2,300 days and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, the Bible is simply saying unto 2,300 days... And then the judgment will begin. So that's pretty exciting. Imagine if we could figure out when God's judgment begins. Well, the good news is we can. And that's exciting because that's going to tell us that we are living in the end of time. It's interesting as you continue on down through the prophecy, Gabriel uh, picks up the story here in Daniel chapter 8 and he continues to explain exactly who the ram is exactly who the two horns are, exactly who the goat is, exactly who the great horn is, exactly who the little horn is, exactly how long the prophecy is, and exactly what will happen at the end of the prophecy. But then he comes to the time period, and his explanation of the time period is kind of vague. Verse 26, the vision of the evenings and the mornings. In other words, the days which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And that's it. At that particular point, Gabriel is done and he's gone. Daniel's words are very significant. He says, I fainted and I was sick for certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, but no one understood it. Well, that's a strange thing to say. I mean, Gabriel has come to him and told him, okay, this is who the goat is, this is who the great horn is, sorry, this is who the ram is, this is who the two horns are, this is who the goat is, this is who the four horns are, this is who the little horn is, this is how long the prophecy is, and this is what happens at the end of the prophecy. Gabriel has explained everything in the vision with significant detail. How could Daniel say he didn't understand it? Well, the answer is quite simple. Daniel couldn't understand it because Gabriel had left out One important detail. It's almost like giving somebody a jigsaw puzzle and saying, here, do this jigsaw puzzle. You'll have so much fun. But you're hiding one piece of the puzzle in your pocket. 
And so Daniel, he doesn't have this extra piece and it's going to drive him to his knees and it's going to drive him to prayer. And we're going to find that in the next chapter. It's going to drive him to study the time prophecies of the Bible and to be praying about them and trying to understand what it is is taking place here in this prophecy. You see, in Daniel chapter 8, it says, unto 2,300 days, we have unto. What we're missing is the from. Because when we are going to describe a time period, we describe it by saying, from here unto here. And in the prophecy, all you have is the unto. So, not so long after, what do we find? Daniel chapter 9, you can read it through. Daniel is praying. And Daniel is studying his Bible. And Daniel is studying the time prophecies of the Bible. In fact, he's opening his window towards Jerusalem three times a day to pray about this. It's confusing for him. You think about it from Daniel's perspective. He has a problem. Let's say that Daniel takes the time prophecy, 2,300 years until the sanctuary is cleansed. Let's say that Daniel takes that as literal time. Well, that's a disaster because in a very short space of time, you're going to have the rise and fall of the Persian Empire. You're going to have the rise and fall of the Greek Empire. You're going to have the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. You're going to have the divided nations. You're going to have the rise and fall of the Antichrist. And you're going to have the beginning of the judgment. All within a few short days, that's enough to make anybody's head hurt. Alternatively, and far more likely, Daniel could take this as symbolic time, under 2,300 years. But he's praying to Jerusalem for the restoration of God's temple in Jerusalem and he discovers here in verse 2 that they're only supposed to be in captivity for 70 years before that temple is rebuilt. So does he have a contradiction here? Is something wrong? Has Gabriel messed up? He goes to his knees to pray about this problem. And in verse 18, he begins his request. And sorry, verse 17, he says, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his request and cause your face to shine on your sanctuary that is desolate. He wants to know all about it. It says in verse 20, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication, my request, before the Lord my God for the holy mountain, the temple, of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, notice that the same angel comes back and Daniel refers to the vision at the beginning. He's referring clearly to the one that he had in chapter 8. Being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening sacrifice and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding. Okay, last time I was here, I didn't finish. I left the piece out. I've now come forth. I've now come to give you that last piece of skill and understanding that you know, that you need to know. At the beginning of your request, the commandment came forth. I've come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, notice what Gabriel does command he gives. He says, understand the matter and consider the vision or stop and think about the vision. Well, what vision is Gabriel referring to? You only have one option. He is referring to the vision of Daniel chapter 8 that has a time prophecy without a starting point. 
And it gets even more interesting because Gabriel's first words right here is, is 70 weeks are cut off for your people. Now, at this point, I'm going to point out the obvious to you. If you are going to cut something off of something else, you have to have something bigger and longer to cut it off from. Isn't that so? So if you're going to cut 70 weeks or 490 years, 490 days, off of something, it has to be coming off of something that is bigger and the only option that you have in the context of this prophecy is the 2,300 days. Gabriel comes along and says, okay, I'm going to explain the whole thing now, the whole time prophecy. Let's begin by cutting off 490 years. And within that time period, there are a number of things that are supposed to happen. The Bible says, uh, this is for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, make an end of sins, get your lives right with God, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, who did that? Who was it that made reconciliation for iniquity? That was Jesus Christ on the cross. To seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So he begins by saying this part is cut off. And in this cut off part, all of these things need to happen. But then he goes on, okay, now we need to give you a starting point. Know therefore and understand that from. Notice before we had unto 2,300 days, we just didn't have a from. Now we are given our from. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Notice where the prophecy starts. Daniel is now given his starting date for the prophecy. His starting date is the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. And so all we have to do is to go back through history and find out when did that commandment take place? Who made it? Artaxerxes the Persian finishes and completes the degree in 457 BC for the rebuilding and restoration of Jerusalem and its temple. And so we have our starting date right here. And the great thing about the Persian kings, of course, is that we have literally dug this information up out of the ground. You see, they recorded their histories in stone. They were keen astronomers. They recorded things that happened in the night sky. They would link that to the reigns of their kings. Astronomy is an exact science. We know exactly when this decree was made. 457 BC, that gives you a starting date. For your 2,300 days. And if you go 2,300 years, day for year principle, from 457 BC. Yes, it's going to launch you out of ancient history, all the way over medieval history. And it's going to land you fair and square in very, very modern history. In fact, it's going to bring you down to the year 1844. That wasn't so long ago. And what does that tell us? Well, first of all, it tells us that we are living in the time of the end. Notice what it says here in Daniel chapter 8. And verse 17, he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid. I fell on my face. But he said unto me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. This vision applies to the time of the end. Now, there's a difference you all understand between the time of the end and the end of time. 
The time of the end is the period that leads up to the end of time when Jesus returns. And that's the period in which the judgment will take place. The Bible says over in Revelation chapter 22, let's read what it says right here. Verse 12, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give everyone according to his works. When Jesus comes back, the judgment has already taken place. He's bringing his reward with him. Now, the good news about this right here is that what we have is one of the greatest signs that Jesus is coming back. When Jesus gave the signs of his return, you find them in many different places in the Bible. Each one of them points to the fact that his return is near. Jesus can't give us a date for his second coming because last time he gave us a date. It didn't work so well. That was the time of the flood. He's not going to give us a date for his return, but he's like, you know what? I'll give you as much evidence as I can. I'm going to give you this sign and this sign and this sign and this sign and this sign. And you can list them all through. And then having done that, he's like, okay, what else could I do to make this easier for you to understand that I'm coming soon? He's like, all right, here's what I will do. I'll give you a date for the beginning of the judgment. And when you know the judgment has begun, you know you're living in the end of time. You know Jesus is coming back soon. You know, if you have any question about it, and the Bible is watertight on this subject, but even if you do have any question about it, all you have to do is take all of the different signs of the return of Jesus that Jesus gave to us and put them on a graph. And watch how that graph goes as you go through the year 1844 because every single one of them takes a very, very steep coronavirus J-curve going up as soon as you hit that date, 1844. Why? Because we are living in the end of time. Jesus is coming soon. The judgment is in progress and it's all about to come to an end. That's the best news I've ever heard. I want to be ready for Jesus to come. Why won't you make a decision for Jesus today? You will never regret it. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.